What if I told you that the future of healthcare looks a lot like retail? And it's not just about location, location, location. There is an urgent need and growing opportunity to reinvent the healthcare experience by adapting key retail principles to design outpatient stores. You know, there's never been a better time for healthcare leaders to think outside the big box. And there are forces driving a significant move away from inpatient care. And it actually, it starts from just sheer cost. There's a critical need to move to less capital-intensive care delivery systems. And also, healthcare institutions are having to answer to the growing demand from consumers for the big C word. You want to guess what that is? Convenience. Like it or not, we are in the on-demand, on-demand era. Just as we as consumers are able to order our food and haul a car instantly, the empowered consumers accessing healthcare services will be expecting the same from their healthcare providers. To retail veterans, this sounds very familiar. The retail landscape was once dominated by giant, multi-departmental, centralized facilities, enclosed malls and downtown department stores. But like hospitals, they were expensive to operate, and drew from an entire market area for an extended visit. You know, we're, we're all seeing what's happening to malls and department stores as they decline. Consumers are shifting their shopping patterns to more convenient power center and strip mall locations. The industry has adapted by creating chains of accessible stores. Similarly, healthcare system will, con- will continue to move away from traditional hospital settings to become more convenient for their customers. <laughs> There's that C word again. Healthcare is moving to meet people where they are. You know, a recent survey of, of top hospital CEOs highlighted that their number one priority over the last several years has been growing their outpatient market share. In fact, 60% of the new healthcare spending has been earmarked for outpatient-only care. You know, survey also revealed that goals for these projects were convenient locations, consistent branding, and a soothing, inviting environment. Well, guess what? These types of goals are the soul of retail. In response... Forward-thinking hospital systems are aggressively developing distributed local settings that are smaller, cheaper, and more conveniently located. What happens is often the planners and designers of these facilities, they really just default to the hospital experience 
and just and are just simply shrinking it down to size. Upgrading the patient experience, you know, it often involves nicer furnishings, more hospital waiting rooms than a hospital, more hospitable, sorry, than a hospital. But is the hospital really the best model to build on? I don't think building another urgent care is going to invoke this change. You know, a recent study reported that 81% of people are dissatisfied with their healthcare experience. Instead of offering customers more of something they can barely tolerate, why not offer them a pleasant experience? That's why healthcare businesses already are designing stores. Some healthcare businesses have embraced the idea of retailing, making their locations indistinguishable from stores or spas because this approach has been proven to work. For example, Lens Crafters offers medical eye care, but the experience in their stores is, first and foremost, designed to maximize customer enjoyment. Ideal Image provides dermatological services in over 100 med spa locations and recently debuted a new, fresh, airy look with conversation pods instead of desks. And they did this to foster personal one-on-one conversations with customers. One Medical and Great Expressions Dental have applied principles of retailing to grow sophisticated networks of branded, people-centered stores that readily fit into any retail center. And now, retailers are jumping into the opportunity. Seasoned retailers know an opportunity when they see it. With the growing separation of outpatient services from hospitals, they're aggressively expanding into traditional healthcare offerings. Giants like CVS, Walgreens, and Amazon are opening in-store clinics and forming alliances to create more convenience, there's that C word again, for their loyal customers. Their experience-centered, consistently branded, accessible approach is a serious threat to any healthcare system that keeps doing business as usual. But what it's about It's about reinventing the experience. Healthcare innovators understand the need for a compelling, holistic, customer-centric experience. Building in quick, efficient processes that eliminate sitting and waiting and invite visitors to browse, learn, engage, and get inspired. Hours that are built around the consumer, pricing that's visible, and digital technology with consistent branding that's woven in, all to increase the approachability and the impact of the healthcare experience. Now, this is a far cry from going to a suburban medical office, waiting in a miniaturized version of a mostly anonymous hospital waiting room, and being seen at the practitioner's convenience, usually in a lab-like environment that makes customers wonder if their condition 
is more serious than they think. And while we're on the subject, you know, why not rethink waiting rooms altogether? Retail finds a way. You know, if you put yourself in the consumer's shoes, right? A typical retail experience offers a huge improvement on the traditional medical experience. You know, when you think about a retail experience, you think about, hey, you're able to move around, you're able to browse, you're able to get inspired by different products and services. You learn, you'll be able to compare different things. And more importantly, you, f- you feel like you're in control of the experience. The healthcare experience is completely different. You have to sit, you have to wait, sterile, really clean, cold, sometimes scary, you're intimidated. And you're totally uninformed. But what it's about, it's starting with the customer. A retail-inspired design approach structures the architecture around the customer. It looks at the journey holistically, digging into experience mapping and opportunities to bring the brand to life beyond just the logo and colors. It considers what experiences will differentiate a system's brand from others and help increase sales. This strategic, customer-centric approach helps decide what facilities are are needed and how to design them. You know, most outpatient care is ripe for an experience makeover, including urgent care, dental offices, physical therapy, clinics, sports medicine, allergy, and primary care. Customers desire convenience. And frequent visits to these specialties make them outstanding candidates for retail makeovers. But of course, it's also about making business sense, right? So of course, it's not all about the customer. Leading chain retailers dominate their categories by employing unit scale to promote visibility and accessibility. This means that while they design for customer experience, they also design and build for scale, consistency, and ease of implementation, rather than creating one-off executions. Replicable standards and kit of parts programs are essential elements to roll out and operate these smaller kind of multi-unit locations cost-effectively and efficiently. They're built to do this. So let me ask you, do you think that we are still far away from retail giants becoming front doors of our healthcare system? Well, you're wrong. The rise of retail healthcare is coming sooner than you think. May already be here. And how are these retail chains preparing for their forays into this healthcare disruption? I'll tell you how. With strategic partnerships and mega mergers. And I mean mega. So let's take a deeper dive and try to decode these organization strategies. You know, over the last several years, there have been an influx of potential mega mergers. And again, when we say mega, I mean mega. Mergers that could rock the healthcare landscape to its core. You know, some have been 
successful. And some that that have not been successful. But I want to break down a few, hopefully get some feedback on them and really debate on what these potential mergers mean. Are these signs of things to come? And how will they affect healthcare professionals and traditional institutions? And what it means for these actual giants in the signs of what their approaches and focuses may be. Before examining the topic of mergers and acquisitions, it's important to understand that there are two different types of mergers, right? Horizontal and vertical. Several years ago, a number of large insurance companies such as Aetna, Humana, and Anthem, Aetna, Humana, Anthem, and also Cigna attempted to merge. However, this horizontal type merger attempt received a lot of pushback from regulators because the merger was seen to create an anti-competitive environment. So it was definitely shot down. Now, more successful have been these vertical mergers that involve companies at different stages in the value chain. For example, CVS Health has recently completed its merger with Aetna. Of course, CVS is a pharmacy benefits manager and provider service organization through its mini clinics. And of course, Aetna is a major insurance carrier. There are even juicier mergers uh, that there's been some rumblings around, which is the potential merger of Humana and Walmart. So what do these deals say about the state of healthcare and merger and acquisition today? Now, healthcare, you know, merger and acquisition, M&A activity is hardly new. But what is new, however, is the new in-kind combination of players involved. The variety in the stakeholders involved, such as pharmacy benefit managers, major payers, commercial companies, medical groups, and so on, indicate a trend towards vertical integration of diverse stakeholders once thought to be in separate parts of the sector. And when these diverse stakeholders combine, they have remarkable synergies, aligned incentives, large complementary data sets, and combined assets, which have the potential to greatly disrupt market dynamics. And what's happening is these increasing financial pressures are pushing providers and even non-provider entities to engage in healthcare merger and acquisition activity. And some of the things that are driving this are value-based reimbursements, shrinking hospital margins, and record high healthcare spending. These are all pushing providers to consider new partnerships to to achieve efficiency and cost control. And providers are contemplating healthcare merger and acquisition sooner rather than later to achieve these goals. Providers alone engaged in 115 healthcare mergers and acquisition transactions in 2017, the highest number in recent history, according to a consulting firm, uh, Kaufman Hall. While 2018 just ended and we're halfway through, I would say, 2019, you know, this year is likely to meet or exceed the level of healthcare merger and acquisition activity. Providers are carrying their healthcare merger and acquisition activity into the new year, 
major hospitals and health systems, as well as some disruptors, are already making plans to form new partnerships in the face of old financial challenges. While others are still working out the kinks with deals from previous years. And what's happening is non-provider mergers, these retail giants, are making trouble for hospitals. So let's go back, going back to that CVS Aetna merger for an estimated $69 billion. You know, after facing almost a year of negotiations and scrutiny, the retail company finalized the payer acquisition in November of 2018, truly shaking up the healthcare consumer landscape. Now, this merger, this healthcare merger is between two non-provider entities. However, the ripple effects from the deal will certainly impact how providers interact with their patients. Providers fear the merger will create more competition for outpatient services and steer patients away from hospitals and even their primary care providers. Hospitals are already looking to expand, as we talked about before, their convenient outpatient care options to compete with retail clinics and urgent care centers, as we talked about earlier. In a quote from the president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, CVS is in position to steer patients covered by Aetna to receive their care from CVS-run clinics instead of from their own trusted physician. Moreover, the patients in the name of convenience are coerced by a limited network and will, and will get their prescriptions from CVS only. Basically saying that they're creating less options for the patients. Physicians in the American Medical Association also spoke out against the merger. The industry group argued the new company would drastically reduce competition in the pharmacy benefit management market, resulting in higher drug prices for consumers. CVS rep said, hey, in 2019, providers should be aware of the new healthcare innovation company, that CVS calls it, and how the consumer-focused company will compete with providers could significantly impact patient volume and revenue. They're not making no bones about it. Now, both sides make good points. You know, CVS Aetna sees this as an opportunity to be the front door to healthcare. They feel it will simplify a complicated system and will help people achieve better health at a lower cost. But provider sees this as decreasing options, as I mentioned before, for patients and potentially creating additional styles in care. So what do you guys think about the pros and cons of the CVS Health and Aetna merger? Tweet me at Anil Irfan on Twitter with your thoughts. Moving on. Now, one of the most unique approaches in healthcare has been by the retail giant Walmart. Recently, Lisa Woods, the Senior Director of U.S. Healthcare at Walmart, detailed the design goals and outcomes of the corporate giant's Center of Excellence program, which was launched in 2013. And which is available to 1.1 million people on Walmart's medical plan. Under the program, Walmart partners with top health systems that have demonstrated appropriate, high-quality care and outcomes for defined episodes of care, such as joint replacements and spine, cardiac, and weight loss surgeries. 
Current centers of excellence in, in the Walmart system include Geisinger in Danville, Pennsylvania, Cleveland Clinic, and Johns Hopkins Health System in Baltimore, among others. In her speaking engagement to the World Congress, which was on the heels of a comprehensive feature story that she authored for the Harvard Business Review on the topic, this was actually published in March, during this really riveting keynote, she actually challenged the audience to all go home, talk to your hospitals, and tell them to take down their ER waiting time billboards. She told attendees during the keynote panel, hey, we talked to our local hospital about why that's not a good idea. It's about communication and collaboration with the community and the hospitals. We don't have those billboards anymore in Northwest Arkansas. What brings a billboard down? The fact that it's inappropriate for every patient to seek care in a hospital emergency room. It also helps when you call from a company with a half a trillion dollars in annual revenue, right? And 1% of the, the country's eligible workforce as employees, uh, Walmart. But it doesn't take a roadside advertisement for Mrs. Woods and her team in Arkansas to talk about appropriateness of care. Walmart's actually spent a lot of time on this subject. To us, that means, this is a quote from Lisa Woods, to us that means making sure our associates get the right diagnosis and the right treatment plan. Then quality is how we ensure they go to the best doctors, the best systems, and receive the best quality care available. She shared details about the frequency and the severity of the inappropriate care Walmart associates have received with their local providers. And this actually drew gasps from the attendees. She asked to consider that, there, that the sheer volume of associates who received a diagnosis of cancer from their local medical providers and of those who were, who were approved by Mayo Clinic, which is Walmart Center of Excellence for Cancer, to travel to Rochester for an evaluation, more than 10% learned that in fact they do not have cancer, that they received a different diagnosis entirely, while 55% received a different treatment plan. Crazy. Some Walmart associates have learned that their cancer diagnosis was based on, based on biopsies that were never completed at their local hospitals or medical groups. Walmart launched the Center for Excellence for Breast, Lung, and correct, Correctorial Cancer in 2015. It quickly became the co company's most utilized center. There are other staggering numbers for other centers for excellence and conditions, like the 54% of the Walmart associates who were told they need spine surgery locally, only to, only to visit the center of excellence to learn they could avoid surgery in their treatment completely. So, you know, Walmart is doing more than determining the top health system to which it, to, which it will refer their associates to for these episodes of care. You know, that process starts with the health system, not hospitals or individual physicians. You know, Ms. Woods from Walmart and her team gather massive amounts of publicly available data on health systems. They distribute requests for information and conduct detailed on-site visits, which involve 
determining precisely which physicians do and do not participate in the center of excellence. You know, uh, Ms. Woods actually clicked on her PowerPoint to a listing of health systems Walmart is in direct contract with for defined episodes of care. The listing the health system names were the most photographed slide from this 50 plus attendees in the room. But in addition to sifting out the best providers in the country, Walmart is also acquiring information about which healthcare providers in the United States have failed its associates with inappropriate care and misdiagnosis. Ms. Wood said that the deficiencies and variation in care are not limited to one region. She says, unfortunately, it's all over the country. It's everywhere, she said. So what's next for Walmart? Well, Mrs. Woods hinted at three developments. The first two more defined than the last. First up, the company is ramping up its telehealth offerings to put associates in touch with high-quality providers for care that is not available at those centers of excellence. Ms. Woods also noted that patients have returned from centers of excellence to say they didn't know healthcare could look like that. In response, the company adjusted co-pays for their virtual visits from $40 to $4 and has partnered with Grand Rounds of a telemedicine company so associates can receive second opinions remotely from leading experts for the specific condition in question. Next, Walmart is readying quality-centered networks in radiology. Many of the Walmart associates who travel to a center of excellence do so because of false positive images or bad read. Walmart partnered with a third party to create an imaging network, which will start with about 50,000 procedures focused specifically on MRI and CT scans. She says it's the right machines and the right readers with negotiated rates. And as fast for the and, and as far for the as for the last more ambiguous development, Miss Woods noted she would only say what she can share, which seems to resemble the Center for Excellence program in reverse. We are taking our associates to good care. Why can't we bring good care into the communities or at least help them figure it out? You know what this shows me? This shows me that Walmart is doing their homework. They're gathering data and basically grading and judging the most prestigious, highest quality healthcare solutions in the country. And are now hinting plans to bring those quality care to not just their own employees and associates, but to their retail centers using virtual health technologies. Man, it's an amazing story and article when I came upon it. So, what do you think about Walmart's approach? Drop me a comment on LinkedIn and share, share some thoughts with me. Okay, now let's move on to, you know, the company that, you know, seems to just be taking over the world, right? Amazon. Now, the news that had all of healthcare in a state of, like, just curious and astonishment was the mysterious announcement about a year ago, that Amazon, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase would be partnering on an unnamed, until now, healthcare company to tackle the industry's biggest problems. 
you know, for many months, the company didn't have a name and we're just simply going by the name ABC. <laughs> Since then, they've, they've appointed an executive team. They're plucking some of the most innovative leaders in the space from entities such as United Healthcare and hospital systems like Extension for this initiative. Now, the, fun, the company finally got a name, which is, uh, which is called Haven. The conglomerate also showed some, some of their cards as Amazon acquired PillPack, which is a leading online pharmacy. And the mission statement was to reinvent employee healthcare and a promise to work collaboratively with traditional healthcare organizations. Now, the effects of these players, you know, coming together still remains, you know, to be seen. But if Amazon pushed to acquire, you know, pharmacies or licenses around the country shows us anything and their acquisition of PillPak, uh, they're definitely going to shake up the U.S. pharmacy market. So what I wanted to do actually was I wanted to share a little expert excerpt of a session I attended at the recent American Telemedicine Association conference. It was a session on retail healthcare. Uh, Dr. Okasawa from UC Davis was the, the presenter. And he really painted a picture of what the, f- uh, what the future of retail healthcare experience could be and how these retail giants can use, would use tools such as wearables, Alexa or other voice-enabled devices, and even image recognition data during telemedicine consoles, and how these tools could be used by these retail entities to deliver consumer-centric healthcare, and what the potential of merging consumer and healthcare data data would be. Truly fascinating. Um, here you go. Take a listen. Imagine now coupling that 
with data on how often I'm buying running shoes, let's say. Those now become powerful information insights for not just the retail side, but for healthcare as well. Now, the most expensive thing in this room is the vacuum. So that kind of shows, okay, I probably vacuum a lot. But it could also be telling you, hey, so are you like one of those lazy Roomba people where you just kind of let it go? Or are you actually the one that actually does the vacuuming? In today's world, you kind of have two different types of people. Algorithms are not here to judge you, but that kind of information, though, is actually still useful. Right? It's all about kind of profiling you, classifying you into many, many different types of people because we're probably a lot more predictable than we think we are at the end of the day. Now here you see the car seat, you see the toys on the ground, see a birthday balloon. So this is saying, okay, this person has a kid. In fact, I think a lot of the image recognition today could easily read that balloon and this happy first birthday. So think about that. Now it knows that I have a one-year-old child. And let's kind of jump to the retail, the retail section, retail section. That insight of the retailers are constantly trying to figure out whether you're pregnant or you have a kid because they know that's the moment when customer loyalty can be switched very quickly. And there's also a lot of opportunity to market products to you, right? And then you add that in with, okay, what kind of brand of diapers is this person buying? Or what kind of different foods is this person buying for their baby? I mean, all this stuff is just so uh, important to not just retail, but also for healthcare. So that's where, you know, the, the point is, you know, it's really obvious why these two worlds are, are already colliding. Now, if image recognition is really good, it could probably detect the bags under my eyes. Now, I didn't want to go through the trouble of using Photoshop and highlight that for you. <laughs> <laughs> but sleep deprivation, right? Mood states, emotional states, mental health. I mean, all of that information is still embedded in this telemedicine session. And that is, is mind-boggling. And as a physician, actually, that's really exciting. Because imagine being able to have access to all that information about your patient, like what they're like at home, you know, how are they feeling, what's their environment like, you know, when they're outside of your clinic. I mean, that is clinically valuable data. And it's actually really hard to get that complete picture on your patient when you have 15 minutes to see them maybe once every five or six months. So Let's flip this a little bit to why this is so important for the consumer. You know, for that, for the consumer, you, you, can, you notice that everything revolved around you. I mean, you really were just going about your day, you know, you're gonna go to Whole Foods to buy some cough medicine or get some lunch. You really didn't have to do anything different in your day. Everything just revolved around you, not the other way around. And that is why that convenience is gonna be extremely valuable. And on top of that, you know, I just want to point out that still today, a lot of the telemedicine consults are still not done in the living room. You know, there, there's still a lot of the patients are going to the clinic or going to some kind of facility. And, um, and so there's still a lot of huge opportunity to kind of bring that care back, you know, to, your, to bring that care into your home. And that market demand is quite timely. And if you think about it, the millennials are just starting to become practicing physicians. 
right? They're starting to become a larger portion of the health of the population that actually is going to start needing the healthcare. And so, and these millennials are they're used to that instant on-demand services. All of their products that they use already are basically catering to them and making sure that they don't really have to do anything but sit there and look at their phone. And so they're going to expect the exact same kind of thing from healthcare as well. And retailers are in prime position to make this vision a reality because they are trained to obsess about the customer experience. Right? So imagine how they're going to design their products and services when they're obsessing about the patient experience. And it's also important to point out that a lot of these retailers already have very big healthcare businesses. I mean, if you think about Walmart is already the third largest pharmacy. Right? Amazon just purchased Bullpack, and now they're a national online pharmacy that can deliver prescriptions to everybody in the continental US, and CVS is already a major player. And on top of that now, you're seeing, these are recent headlines, right? They're already bringing healthcare right to your doorstep. And they're gonna definitely bring healthcare more deeply into your living room as well. These are also very recent headlines. In fact, I mean, a lot of these retail companies are actually already in our homes. 20% of American households already have a smart home device. And that share is only going to be increasing. Healthcare organizations know this, you know, that retail companies have been able to integrate into our everyday lives in ways that they have not been able to do for set decades. And that's really pretty significant. So you look at this, you know, Amazon Alexa, but it could be Google Home Hub, you know, it could be any of these things. But what's so special is that this speaker, you know, it really did start out as like a speaker, right? But this speaker is now a medical device, and a music player, and a virtual assistant, all in one. Right? Another really good example is the Apple Watch with the new EKG feature. I mean, if you really think about EKGs, those, things, the, the, those technologies used to only be available in the emergency department or in the hospital. And now, that's all available right on your wrist, and it's a lot, right, right alongside all of your text messages, you know, your, all your MP3 playlists, all that right on your list, or right on your wrist. And as our team was researching for the past year on this topic, it was really clear that this phenomenon was happening very rapidly. We had, it was hard, challenging to keep track of all of the deals that were happening, mergers and acquisitions to partnerships between traditional healthcare organizations and Big box retailers, e-commerce sites, supermarkets even, you see the colors on there, or uh, uh, Albertsons, and even retail pharmacies. So this is already happening, where retail and healthcare are merging, these industries are merging. But in our research, one of the most important findings for us was the fact that policies are totally outpaced. They are completely outdated, and they're not really prepared to address some of these very innovative models of care that are going to emerge. And if you really think about HIPAA, HIPAA was written decades ago, or over a decade ago, and it really hasn't been updated that much. The last time it was updated was maybe five years ago for the High Tech Act, but most of it remains unchanged. 
And when Dylan was written, I mean, the cloud was barely a thing. <laughs> there, most companies didn't use the cloud when it was written. So that just kind of shows you how designed these policies are. And I want to focus on one specific aspect of this policy issue. So that is the convergence of healthcare and consumer data. So healthcare and consumer data used to be siloed between, in, in terms of um, uh, sectors, right? So the businesses are totally mutually exclusive. And in fact, as you can see, the government agencies that even govern these things are also totally separate agencies because that's how separated they were for this entire time. But now what we're seeing is that these worlds are colliding. And we need to be imagining a future where your grocery purchases are now part of your healthcare data. That the things that you're buying online or in a local store, like Walmart or, or Whole Foods, are now part of your healthcare data. You have to be thinking about objects in your home could be part of your healthcare data. And likewise, even your healthcare data could also be part of your retail data. Because like that example of nudging you to buy that salad instead of the mac and cheese, or you think about all the exercise equipment that you buy, let's say. All that is actually more housed in the retail world traditionally, but you think about it, that has a lot of healthcare implications. You know, very valuable for us to know that for the healthcare side. So I want to come back to the original title, which is, are retailers the future of healthcare? Absolutely. Retail is the future of healthcare because it's been, it is the missing piece to our healthcare picture. I mean, these two worlds have been siloed from each other, and now they're fusing into one. And it actually allows us to now see the consumer, who's now the patient, in a much more holistic way. It doesn't make sense for us to be isolating the nutrition and grocery shopping information and you know the exercise information from our actual medical conditions. You know, they really should be synergizing together to provide that full picture of each each patient, each consumer. And so if you think about next time I, I ask you when you walk into you know a Walmart or Amazon or uh, Whole Foods or when you're shopping on Amazon, you know, imagine imagine that future, what it looks like. You know, imagine what it's gonna be like when healthcare and health and, and retail are merging. Imagine that future because it's actually not that far away. In fact, it's actually already happening. Thank you. And we are back. Hope you guys enjoyed that clip. That was from the ATA 2019 conference in New Orleans. Just a fascinating session uh, on on retail healthcare from Dr. Okasawa from the UC Davis. Uh, glad I was able to include that in this 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 episode. Um, so, in conclusion, um, you know, as Dr. Okasawa so eloquently stated and questioned, and actually named the session is retail the future of healthcare all signs point to yes is it going to be happening sooner than we think yes and seems to already be in motion 
Do traditional healthcare providers have to change the way they think about patient experience? I think we can agree that's also true. Now, will this make for a better, more efficient healthcare system? Now, that remains to be seen. But if these mega mergers woven in with these innovative technologies and the clout of these America's most powerful companies shows us anything, the healthcare system is in for a drastic transformation. And healthcare is about to get the ultimate retail makeover. And my friends, that's what 10x healthcare is all about. Well, thanks thanks again, everyone, for joining me on this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Anil Irfan. Uh, I want to continue this conversation. Please drop me a line on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Anil, at Anil Irfan, which is A-N-E-E-L. Uh, I-R-F-A-N. I'm going to start a 10X Healthcare Twitter page soon as well. Uh, also, follow me on my Instagram page. It's Anil Virtual Health, A-N-E-E-L Virtual Health. And we do, we have launched a 10X Healthcare Podcast Facebook page. Uh, go ahead and drop drop a line there as well. And and if you enjoy the podcast and have enjoyed the, the previous episodes, please share with others, subscribe. Uh, greatly appreciate it. And once again, thank you for joining me for another episode of the 10X Healthcare Podcast.